Hi there, I'm Neve Shaw and this is Humans of Space, a podcast about curious people. More specifically, it's chats with people that I've met along the journey so far in getting to space. People from many parts of the world, people who've inspired me, people who do interesting things, know interesting stuff, have figured out great things, or people who want to change the world. Curious people who are happy to chat with me about their lives, their passions, and explore together what drives us to be the people we need to be. I like to think that Humans of Space is a blend of space, science, curiosity and creativity for ears of all kinds. But I guess that's up to you to decide. My guest today is Soyeon Yi, South Korea's first astronaut and citizen in space. A biotechnologist by trade, she conducted experiments during her 11-day mission in 2008 on board the International Space Station. What makes Soyeon's story particularly interesting is how she managed to recover from a ballistic re-entry to Earth at the end of her mission when she shared that trip with NASA astronaut Peggy Whitson and Roscosmos's Yuri Malachenko. She tells the story with energy, vigour and lots of life. And let's see how we get on in our chat today. Hi, Soyin. How are you? Where are you right now and how are you getting on in lockdown? Right now, northwest of U.S., a little bit near to the Seattle, Washington area. During the lockdown, as you know, U.S. is not in a good shape, but I'm doing my best to be safe and healthy. Soon this will all be passed and in a year's time, maybe things will be a lot different. Soyin, you've had such an interesting life already, becoming an astronaut and then developing your own career, then a second career with your MBA from Berkeley University. When you were very young, did you have a fascination for space? <laughs> I've never interested in space at all until yeah. I applied for an astronaut program. When I applied for an astronaut, I met a lot of people who is interested genuinely. Yeah, I've never thought about that. It's obviously not relevant, though. It's obviously your characteristics that made you a perfect candidate. I think when people do exceptional things in their life, I'm always very interested in where that comes from. What were you interested in then? So I still remember in the middle school during the English class and then teacher asked me what you want to be when you grow up. And I said, I really want to be a first female president in Korea. And he told me like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to be a first female president. You might want to be a first lady. And I said, no, 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 I don't mean first lady. I mean myself president. He was pretty sure that I want to be a first lady, but I didn't mean that. (laughs) Until that age, I was not biased by any culture or gender kind of thing until then. From middle school, I feel so kind of fascinated about engineering and science and kind of like that. And I'm totally sure that that's influenced from my dad. You then went on and you studied science. You're a biotechnologist. Were you just a recent graduate then when the call for selection came out? Or at what stage in your career did that call happen? During my middle school, luckily I got into the gifted program. And then there's a lot of kids who's good at math and science. But anyway, I apply because all my friends apply and I got admitted. At the time, I realized that maybe I'm more like an engineering person rather than the science person. And I decide maybe I better go to the engineering school. At what stage did you apply for the astronaut selection program? 
until end of my master's and in the middle of my PhD, ah. we've never known about the astronaut program because Korea doesn't have any human spaceflight program until then. And even they don't have right now. But anyway, they had a little bit of the initiation of the satellite program. And mm-hmm. they had some part of the project related with the rocket, but they would never have had a human space flight. I've never interested in space. So yeah. I didn't even know about what Korean science areas or aerospace areas are working on it. And then I even never interested in that. I just studied my own thing. And then I was too busy finishing my thesis and then finishing my <laughs> college. And then, yeah, I, I didn't have any interest outside of that. During my master's, I did mechanical engineering. And then I decided to kind of transfer to other department, biosystems department for my PhD after my mm. master's. Was it a long process, the astronaut selection process, or did it happen very quickly? Uh, both. I heard about that program and I just thought like it's just interesting. And not because I want to be a national, but because I just want to experience how they choose astronauts. Yeah. I just apply. Yeah. Totally genuinely about that process. That made me curious. And they said it will take almost a year. And as I remember, I applied around uh, April with my essays and all those documentation they require. First round, just with the documentation, takes a two, three months during the summer, July, August or sometime. And then they started second and third screening like uh, medical health status and written exams and those kind of mass filtering process happening for two, three months. And they finally picked the 245 people. And from that time, we have a little bit more focused screening, like interview and team training and teamwork skill testing, a team project, working together to monitor the people, how work as a team. Yeah. And medical screening for a whole week with a kind of head to toe and then checking everything after making 30 of the candidates. Yeah, so it, it, it was quite fun. And then even until it became 30 out of 36,000, mm-hmm. I didn't even had dream or goal as to become final. Just until then, I just feel like it's so interesting and fascinating. And then I just was almost like a journalist to my friend. Yeah. So whenever I had a task for half day, I, for two, three days, I just sharing with my friends. <laughs> And then two of you were selected. What did that feel like when you realized that you had been selected? Uh, first, I feel like, wow, I came too far. <laughs> it obviously is why you got selected. When people want something too much, they can almost get in their own way, really, can't they? You're right. You're right. That's also one of the reasons I believe. Because some of the people, they are really able and, and they are really great people, but they are so nervous because they really want to be final. And they made a mistake. I witnessed that kind of thing. And also in other way around, I just keep thinking like, if I'm not a good candidate of an astronaut, I better not be a final. So I just want to be authentic. Yeah. Me. Rather than a fake of me to just pretend like a right candidate. Whatever I tried, I really want to be myself. That's because 
I'm ready to accept whenever they eliminate me because it means I'm not right candidate to be the final. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly, I keep surviving. And then when I became two, one of my close friends and called me betrayer. <laughs> we always encourage each other and we always just support each other. Don't give up. We can survive. That's our goal. We don't want to be a number one. But once I became a two and then those kind of group of my friends said betrayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are one of those. Yeah, you went too far. And so in, when it was yourself and the other candidate, did you go straight into training then? Did they send you straight then to Star City? How quickly did it happen? I was selected on Christmas Day, but I joined the Star City early March. Wow, that's fast. So we have two months to wrap up and go there. So that, that was really most toughest time for me because I was mm-hmm. in the middle of the PhD program. And then yeah. I would never imagine to be the final. And then any of my landmate also, they encourage me. They just kind of cheering me. And then they just, oh, go, so you go. But they would never imagine that I can make final. <laughs> 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 Even when I became 10, they said, oh, so I think you will be maybe. And then maybe you have a higher probability. But of course, I take as a praising or some kind of compliment. But they were not that serious. They just make me happy. But once I became a final, they were so shocked. Of course, they told me congratulations, but I can I can read their eyes. They are so shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and how long then did you train before you actually launched? Almost a year because year. I wow. have launched hmm. April. Uh, yeah. Yeah, next April. So it takes almost a month. Because first month of joining the study, I had a lot of testing medical yeah. testing and checking out. We even joined the study before confirming taking the training or not because Russians said they really want to check it out if yeah. we are really kind of fit on that. So real training started around the early April. I have a launch next April, so it takes Fun almost April. a year. Yeah. Gosh. Those years are uh, kind of typical in Russia. By the time you're on the launch pad, can you believe that this is you, that this is your life? Uh, actually, when we go to the Russia and then joining the city, we didn't know who will be the backup and who yeah. will be primary as yeah. a two of us. Yeah. But most of the Korean people act like they already knew because one is the guy, another one is female like me. And then most of people treat him already being a primary. And of course, Russia, you know, the Russian culture and they treat oh, yeah. him more yeah. like a primary. I'm more yeah. like a even not a backup. They just treat me like almost like a secretary or something kind of like that, support support the program or something, very early stage. But after taking some training and became friends of the other Russian astronauts, they changed their attitude and they just start supporting me and then treat me more like an astronaut candidate. But very early stage for first two, three months, I was almost invisible. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Because, yeah, in, in Russian... Air Force Base, we have a training facility inside of the Air Force Base. Most of the pilots and cosmonauts are all male, except uh, two or three female in a 50-year history. And uh-huh. I'm the youngest also among the uh, yeah. candidates. And I, I was only female and I was an Asian. I couldn't blame that because I understand their culture. They are not the bad person. They are just accustomed to live in their own culture. So 
And I already accustomed to living in you know, those male dominant society during my 10 years in a mechanical engineering department. I just always tried to adapt. That helps me a lot. So mm-hmm. living in a mechanical engineering field for 10 years helped me a lot to survive in a Russian military base. Do you remember how you felt the day you got the nod that it was you that was going to go for launch? Yeah, I clearly remember that. And then that was really chaotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really chaotic because uh, Korean government hesitating to decide to change because uh-huh. our male colleague already assigned as a primary after six month training passed. But changing was the a month before lunch. Wow. So I was totally adept as a backup. And yeah. I was even feel grateful to be a backup because first backup astronaut in Korean history also. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Even if some people think if you became a backup, it's more like a loser, but I don't think so because I already beat 36,000 candidates. And I cannot be a loser even if I became a backup. And then I just thought if I feel like I'm a loser, I don't think it's fair because there was a 30,000 applicant who applied with me they are watching me and most of them even jealous about my backup position. But if I feel like it's a loser, that makes all those people feel so bad. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I don't want to do like, I, I don't want to be the person like that. And I just said, I'm so happy. And I just want to be the best backup astronaut ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if I will not fly, but, and then of course, uh, it is different from the backup astronaut of America or yeah. Russia. Because in America and Russia, even if you became a backup, you have another chance to become a primary mm. in the future because mm. they have a continuous human space flight program. Mm. But in Korea, I clearly know that they don't have any future plan. It's just a one-time project of a government. So if you became a backup, 99% chances you will not fly never, ever again. Yeah. Yeah. So some of my Russian colleagues said that, yeah, that's because it became a backup. It's so sad for you. And no, 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 it's not sad at all. I'm so exciting because I can prove that backup can be the best backup ever. I'm so grateful. Even if I will not fly, I have a full whole year training. Yeah. Same as a primary. What a privilege it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was so happy. And once I realized that, it was changed and some of the people speak so bad about me only because a woman and then some Korean internet pirate or something kind of people they just said we don't want to send a woman and then she's so wow. ugly and then she will shame our country blah blah wow. blah and oh my god it's so hard to handle it even if I don't want to read or check it yeah. my friends and families feel so hurt with that yeah. And also, I realized that because it was the big, huge scandal, more people interested in Korea's astronaut program than before, because that scandal make everybody's open their eyes and watching us. If the guy astronaut candidate in Korea just fly, we, we were just a small little country. We don't have our own rocket. We just ride with the Russia. So not that many people are interested in, maybe, I guess. 
But once we change it very dramatically, it's not common thing in Russian history. So a lot of newspaper articles going around globally, and some of the European and kind of Western countries are so interested in Asian countries first will be the female. It's really interesting also. Yeah, so much more people are interested in, and that makes me feel more responsible yeah. and accountable. Yeah. Yeah. And some of my close friends, they want to celebrate. But yeah, of course. My guy colleague, he's living right next to my dormitory. And I don't want to make him feel bad, but some of the Russian guys coming up and then open the champagne and <laughs> cheering. Oh my God, Soyeon, congratulations. And I just said, shh, don't, don't, don't do that. And then they said, Soyeon, today is the happiest day ever for you. As a Korean citizen, it also feels awkward because some people yes. are just wondering about what happened and does the, this guy made a mistake or something kind of like. And then it's very mixed feeling. And in Korea, also same. And then some of people like it. Some of people speak so bad about that. And then some of people said that still we should send the military guys. And some people said they are so young. And yeah, so a lot. Total mess. And then launch happens, and suddenly you're up on the International Space Station. So what was that like to transition from? Oh my gosh, I'm going to then this is happening, and I'm up there. What do you remember about launch day and arriving on the ISS? Yeah, that's really good question. I was kind of afraid because I've been having almost a six months of training with the backup crew. Yeah. And so no I've pressure. never had a simulation training with the primary crew. And I didn't have even time and chance to kind of simulate with them before leaving for the Kazakhstan. Because right before leaving for the Kazakhstan, we were changed. And wow. I was thinking about, Oh my God, they don't know me very well. And I also don't know them very well. We've never trained together before. Can we really uh, handle well during real flight? Of course we will, because we are both able and we take the, all the training very well. Of course, technically we are able. As a team, it's a different game. There's yeah. a country, there's a code and there's a culture. And you want to be familiar with your teammate before doing really serious project. And we didn't have that kind of chance. So I was a little bit uh, worried. And also I wonder what kind of crew members they are. Even if I know their face, even if I also passed by each other and then we joined the party together, but we've never seriously stayed together for a long time. So I just wonder. Right before leaving for Kazakhstan, we have a three, four days retreat or something. So we went to the travel together to have a relaxing time before going to the Kazakhstan. And I became a really close friend of the primary crew mates, the wives and kids first, even yeah. before crew member. And they really loves me. And that, mm. that influenced a lot to crew member also. And yeah. they just cannot hate me at all because their kids yeah. love me, their wives loves me. And I realized that they are really good guy. And I became almost like a brother and sister, even that short time. They uh, warmly welcomed me, even if I'm totally stranger to them. It was really touching. Still, I feel so grateful. It was so funny. On the way to go to the rocket, we take on a bus together. And on the bus, there is uh, all mission patch stickers put on the wall of the inside of bus. And 
my crew member pointing out several mission paths, and then they just talk about some story related with that, even if they've never flew before. That was also interesting. Historically, most of the Russian flight, they always have a one person who v e n flown at least one time, and yeah. two of them are rookie, or two persons already had flown, and yeah. one is rookie. But my yeah. flight was three of us are all rookie. First 10 years are all rookie, but around the 2000 and 2010, and even until now, they don't make the whole three rookies fly together, yeah. but at the time, yeah. two of us are rookie. And There was a reason because my commander, he's supposed to fly 10, 15 years even before. But because wow. of the budget problem, crew member of the three of Soyuz became two. And he was the youngest. So he should step back. And he mm. cannot get in the group to go yeah. to the cycle because at the time, shortage of the set. And then those young rookies cannot get in for several years. So he couldn't fly. almost 10 years, even he was the primary. And finally, he got in my crew member as a commander. Mm, mm, And mm. my engineer, he also supposed to fly 10, 15 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But not by Soyuz, but by shuttle. Because when Russia and uh, U.S., They had some kind of collaboration program. So they just uh, shake hands to make the American astronaut to fly with the Soyuz and Russian astronaut to fly with the shuttle. So some of the Russians had training for shuttle flight even before 2000. And mm. my engineer Oleg was in that team. Mm. But after shuttle accident, yeah. those Russian astronauts should come back to Russia and they never ever go back to Houston. So his flight was canceled also. So both of them has a story to be canceled. I was also originally backup. Yeah, (laughs) of course. A month before I changed it. So three of us just look at each other and oh my God, what a story we have. And oh my God, what a (laughs) Avengers we are. (laughs) It was so funny. But When we sit on the rocket, we check everything. And in the middle of the final check, right before the countdown, my commander's spacesuit was blown up. Oh my And God. we realized that that spacesuit had a problem. It's around an hour before launch or something. We are already locked. We were so shocked. And three of us said, maybe we are not the person who fly. <laughs> maybe we are meant to not fly. <laughs> <laughs> but we all three agree that we don't want to give up. So we checked out our commander's spacer. We realized that it doesn't affect any safety. It only has a problem of the cosmetic appearance. So yeah. we opened some emergency kit and then kind of like that, we tried to fix it as good as uh, piloting and navigating himself. And then we tied some thread and then make it. And then we check pressure check several times if it's functionally okay, even if cosmetically not okay. And then we check, check, check. And then outside of the rocket, mission control, they keep discussing also, is it okay? Or should we cancel this flight? Or should we delay? And then they have a total 
kind of chaotic discussion outside, even if they cannot see inside only with the camera they can see. And then they keep checking with us. Is this okay? What's the number of this? Blah, blah, blah. But final decision should be made by the head of the Roscosmos, not by us. So we ourselves did a lot of tests and then we were pretty sure we can fly, but we cannot convince anybody outside and we wait. And outside of mission control, said, did you test it? Uh, let's test this. And then we just said, we already tested this and we have a number here. And they said, then please try this. And we already tried. We have a number like that. And they just asked us, what's the number of this? Yeah, we already checked. And then blah, blah, blah. And then they said, wait for a while. We will discuss. And then they said, yeah, good to go. But wow. once you guys go up, uh, we will send a new spacesuit for the commander by the progress. So Sergey, you will come back with a brand new space. So you don't want to came back with those kind of stupid space. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, that was incredible. We were so desperate. We can know each other without saying anything because three of us has a story and three of us so desperate to fly. And also three of us was so shocked. Maybe we are not the person who meant not to yeah. fly. That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, that makes us bond together yeah. really strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was launch like, Soyeon? They said good to go. And we are waiting for the launch. And finally, we feel the shaky and some kind of sounds and pushing. And we yell a lot, <laughs> so loud. We are going. And then, yeah, that was really fun. And I cannot believe it, but I was in the Soviet capsule and in the rocket. I was in the dream. Yeah. When you got to the International Space Station, did you adapt quickly enough to being able to move around with that sensation of microgravity or or that sensation of weightlessness? Did you find that difficult or did you take to it really easily? Physically, I mean, it's just moving and flying. It's not a big deal, but I have a total serious motion sickness. Even before arriving ISS on the Soyuz, I already had a motion sickness and three of us all had a motion sickness. And that was so funny. My commander, Sergei, I knew he had a motion sickness because I heard he vomited. But he always kept checking me. Are you okay, (laughs) Soyeon? That's so nice. That's That's so so nice. And a very Russian also as a guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He's totally okay. I know he's not okay because his face is so pale white. And then I heard he's vomiting a second ago, but right after swipe his face and then throw up, uh, throw away the kind of vomiting back, he just come back to me and then smile. So are you okay? <laughs> yeah, that's so lovely. And I just said, okay, I'm okay. Yeah, even if I feel so dizzy, I, I think I can handle it. And he said, whenever you feel hard, let me know. And I said, yeah. And then, yeah, it, it was really touching and lovely. After arriving, my motion sickness was a little bit longer than others, but mm-hmm. I and my doctors and Russian teams are all anticipated because whatever vehicle, I had a motion sickness. Yeah, yeah. Becoming an astronaut. Yeah. And when I had a rotating chair training in Russia, at that time, US and European, they don't have a rotating chair training anymore because they think it's not related with the space motion sickness, but Russia, they still had at the time. And I was so weak in that. And all the medical team said that we've never seen astronaut candidate 
that bad on rotating chair. You you are the worst. <laughs> I just have a hope, like yeah, even if I'm not good at rotating chair, maybe I will be okay with the real space flight because some of the astronaut was like that. They were totally good at the rotating chair, but they had a really serious bad uh, space sickness. And I had a really bad motion sickness for three or four days. That was really miserable. But in the same time, I was so excited because I'm in a zero gravity. I'm in a space. So I can take care of my motion sickness well, even if it's so bad. Yeah. And I don't want to waste my time just uh, close my eyes or just taking a pill and then being uh, drowsy. Yeah. I don't want to waste my every single minute because I only have a 10 days. So uh, I tried to do whatever I needed to do, even with mm. emotions. What was the best part of being on the ISS for you? It's boring, I know, but same as any other astronaut, look out through the window is always make me feel fantastic. Not only to the space side, but also down to the Earth side. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, ever bored. It's amazing. That's what everybody says. It's incredible. You leave Earth to fall in love with it. That is very philosophical and also yeah. mentally affected because you know you are living on the Earth as a one of the humankind, but you are out of your world and you can look down your whole world as a third person. That's really mind-blowing. You have so many things to appreciate and feel grateful, but you didn't do enough ever, never. So you feel regret about that also. That's quite profound. Yeah, yeah. That was really incredible. Especially when I looked down to North Korea, especially yeah. nighttime. Yeah. And we were all take as granted to turn on the light and get out of the house. You have a street light. And even after sunset, just having the light or electricity, mm -hmm. something you are take as granted, right? Mm -hmm. If you are living yeah. in a civilized country, you can do whatever you want to do, even in the middle of night, if you are living in a developed or civilized country. But if you look down to the earth and you could see that some countries are total dark, doesn't have any single street light at all, even if it's not a desert, even if it's city. Yeah. And you realize that they are out of grid and they don't have a good infrastructure yeah. and they cannot have a school even if we don't want to go to the school, but it's a different, don't want to go to the school or cannot go to the school. That makes me think every single people, they have at least 100 complaints about their own city or country or politicians or school or house or home or family even, right? But you realize that all those complaints is nothing because yeah. if you have a complaint, Something to complain, it means you have something. So if you yeah. are complaining about your country, it means you are belong to your country. If you are a refugee, you don't have any country to complain. Yeah. Yeah. And if yeah. you complain about your school, it means you are in the school system. Yeah. If you yeah. don't have any education system in your country, you don't have nothing to complain. So, wow. Even if I think something is so miserable, it means I have something. What if I don't have that thing? Yeah. So have something to complain is really fortunate. Yeah. yeah. And that struck me too hard. And then I feel so embarrassed. I've never thought in that way. It's quite a moment to see the earth 
and think about those things. It's a very powerful view and it seems to affect everybody in profound ways. So you're returning back with Peggy Whitson and is it Yuri Malachenko? So yeah. you're going back with two other people. At what stage of re-entry do you realise that something isn't working and you're about to spin in ways you're not supposed to spin when you return to Earth? So right at the separation of the Soyuz capsule, we got a notification we had a successful separation. So we thought we can go back normally and we report to MCC, we will go back and everything's okay. But right after separation, we should penetrate the atmosphere. And then at that time, mm-hmm. we don't have any communication. We don't have any radio signal because outside is a crazy hot. Yeah. So right after penetrate, we realize that something wrong because numbers are different. And we have read a lot with the ballistic entry and then kind of like that. Wow. And at that time, we didn't know because we cannot see outside. We can yeah, see of outside course. small little window, but we cannot see if the separation went really well or not, because those modules are attached to on top of us. Yeah. But yeah, finally we knew that after investigation, uh, detachment and separation was not successful. But at the time we didn't know, we just realized that we had something wrong and we should have a ballistic re-entry to make the re-entry more safer. And as we trained, we just followed the ballistic reentry process. And before even have a read a lot, I saw something outside of blinking. But luckily during my backup training, my commander told right at the separation, we supposed not see anything outside the window, even if separation happened and all the trajectories are different. So Outside, it should be clear, but I could see something flicking. And I told Yuri, I think I see something outside of flicking. And then Yuri told, it shouldn't be. You might have some hallucination or something because you are so excited. And then I <laughs> totally agreed with him because I was excited. Yeah. <laughs> and for a while, Peggy, she also told Yuri something outside. And Yuri cannot ignore Peggy's comment. What does that mean when it was blinking? Our habitation module was not detached fully. The burning stuff is flicking outside. Some little sprinkle things are flying outside. We're coming down. As I guess. And as I learned from the investigation about that. And we had those kind of conversations. We just wonder what's going on. Even in the middle of those discussions, we had read a lot of the ballistic re-entry and then we realized something wrong. Ballistic re-entry means that the impact on your body and the forces on the capsule are far greater than what they should normally be. Were you spinning or? We couldn't feel that big, huge spinning because we already spinned and we couldn't measure or sense the speed of spinning, kind of like that. But I could feel the G-force is much higher. Even before having the read a lot, I feel Jeepers is a little bit bigger than. And then I yeah. told Peggy, I thought like this is the much bigger than the 3.5G, the normal biggest. Yeah. And Peggy told me like, yeah, you could feel like that because you are from Georgia. So relatively feels bigger 
Yeah. Then. Because when you launch it, you having 3.5 from the 1G. So just yeah. different 2.5. Yeah. But re-entry, you have the same 3.5, but you are start from the zero, you feel bigger. Yeah. And that also makes totally sense. So I just accept it. Yeah, maybe. But after for a while, Peg is that, oh my God, it's much bigger. <laughs> so and you are right. <laughs> <laughs> and we had read a lot and then we realized that it's almost 819G. We even cannot read the G meter because a lot of things happen. But as I heard from the investigation team, it was much higher than 819G, but it was too short. So it's not big, huge impact on your body. Yeah. But you could feel much heavier then. How long did that last, that very heavy sensation? Is it a minute, two minutes? Just in several minutes. Yeah. Several minutes. And then yeah. you land and you mm-hmm. survive. The three of you were in the middle of the desert. After huge G-force, we have 10 or a little bit more minutes with parachute opening and engine burn. So yeah, we had enough time to adapt. And after that experience, how did you adjust back to not being an astronaut anymore? How long did it take for you to have that experience and then continue your life going forward? Uh, you cannot. No matter where you are, no matter what you are doing, you cannot erase your whole one year and a little bit more in your life. Anyway, you should go back to your normal life. My case is, is even more dramatic because American and Russian and European Japanese astronauts, they have a continuous human space flight. They could have tasted a little bit of the astronaut life during their several years training. And also they became an active astronaut life for kind of 10 years or a little bit more and less. And after became not that active astronaut, you can just stay in the agency as a part of the astronaut corps yeah. for several years also. So you have mm. some kind of merge in and merge out time mm-hmm. to do that. If, but mm. still, many of astronauts after retirement from astronaut, they have certain time to adapt and it's a kind of hard time. But for me, I only had a year from the selected until the launch. Yeah. And have only 10 days of flight. I got much more attention than any other astronaut because I was the first of my country. Yeah. So my up and down is a much bigger amplitude than uh-huh. any other astronaut. Uh-huh. So I, m- maybe my up and down is almost like, a, yeah, not, not exactly like Yuri Gagarin or Neil Armstrong, but pretty much yeah. like that in my own country. It was really tough. Right after my flight, I know we don't have any human space flight program, but I should serve for the space agency. And then I had uh, several years just only speaking travel and showing up the TV and then having a radio interview. And then they kind of think, of course, it's really fun and very meaningful, but it was too much. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I keep thinking about, I cannot live like that forever because after several years, nobody want to listen to astronaut story anymore in Korea because every single people is already heard. My country doesn't have a human space flight program anymore. What should I do next? Because I already left my field for several years mm-hmm. to become an astronaut. Yeah, I even finished my PhD, but I've never practiced my PhD because right before my PhD that is admitted, I went to Russia. Yeah. And I got PhD in the middle of my training. And after coming back, I should serve for the space agency for five, six years. 
So right after my PhD, I've never published any journal, any, any article. I've mm-hmm. never joined any research project as a PhD at all. So my career was cut off. Yeah. Yeah. And after astronaut program obligations all done, it's too late to go back because a lot of fresh graduates just join and then everything's changed. My PhD that is already behind the current technology. And I keep feel so kind of worried about my career. What should I do after? But what should I do? I don't have any person who had a similar career path with me at all in my country, even outside of my country. So hard to find the right mentor or a right person to got a consult or advice. That's feel like I'm total lost. I realize that I should look at my life and my career as the third person rather than my own career yeah. with a huge emotion and decide to do something totally different. And that makes me to lead to do the MBA program. I'm also thinking about to the MBA program in Korea. But whatever school I went to or whatever course I go, they recognize me as an astronaut. They already have a bias. Yeah. So I just want to go somewhere. Nobody take me as an astronaut, but they just take me as a Suyan. I decided to get out of my country for several years and find myself more clearly and come back. But in the middle of the course, I met my husband. That's because I end up in U.S., Northwest. I believe I should be the owner of my life. I'm doing my best to find my own life. And so, Ian, just last question. What advice would you give to people who struggle with wanting more from their life? You devour life. You give everything to every moment. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. And also, I'm always asking myself that question. For me, it always helps counting something I feel so grateful right now Mm. rather than before or after. You know what? During the COVID era right now, we are locking down. We lose a lot of things we've done before and we feel so uncomfortable. But I feel so grateful for this time because that make us recognize how precious life we've had before and what we take as granted even if we shouldn't do. Those uncomfortable situations give us a lot about our life meaning. I even feel so grateful for this time because that uh, make us realize how kind of blessed life we had. Let's focus on what we already have right now before thinking about something you really want to have in the future. So yeah, you have a technology, internet, because you are listening to this podcast. Half of the population still, they don't have a stable network and internet and doesn't have a kind of device like this. And we should be grateful for that. And I know you are so mad at some kind of SAT scores and you cannot get admission from the college or you are not offered a job even after a hundred of the interviews and all those kind of things happen. But at least we are breathing. We have a life. We have a family. We have somebody to talk to. That's really incredible and something Mm -hmm. we should 
grateful. And mm-hmm. we should take that as our precious part of our life. And that is so powerful, make you feel more stronger. And if you realize that, you can realize what you should do for a better life, I yeah. believe. And then right now I do, because some of my friends ask me, so how do you like, how do you live like that in the middle of the rural area with your husband? And then you are an astronaut. Everybody recognizes you. You are a celebrity in Korea, but you are living like a just normal person in you, as I said, because I miss this kind of life. Yeah. Because that's the life of mine. Yes. Just being a celebrity in the middle of the, a lot of people, they are not my close friends or family. They are just people pass by. I don't want to put the huge meaning. Of course, I feel precious and feel grateful for that because they love me and like me. But I want to put more weight. Something really gives me meaning to my yeah. life. I want to focus on something really stay with me forever. And it's very wise. You give 100% energy to everything. It's infectious being around you, Soyin. So thank you so much. I really do hope when the pandemic is over that I get the opportunity to see you again in person at the Space Studies program. Yeah, we will. No, we shall. Yeah. But for now, thanks very much. Thank you. If you like this podcast or if you like what I do or if you'd like to know more or have a question, you can sign up for updates on my website, neveshaw.ie. This podcast is funded by my loyal Patreon subscribers, the subscription content service that allows me to create and share exclusive videos, advanced episodes of this podcast, provide special deals and discounted offers for patrons of my work. And thanks to those patrons, I get to make the work I want to make and can continue in my mission to get to space in earnest. And in return, I get to include them all in the adventures every step of the way. I couldn't do any of it without their support and I will be forever grateful to them. So thanks. And maybe you'd like to become a patron too. So if you would like to support my mission to get to space as storyteller, further details of Patreon's membership benefits and about this podcast, upcoming events and activities, they're all available from my website, neveshaw.ie account. I'd love to hear from you. But we can connect in other ways too. If you're on Twitter, my handle is Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. If you're on Instagram, it's Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. Or on Facebook, follow my page, Get Neve to Space. If you just want to watch more content, you can check out my videos on my YouTube channel, Neve Shaw. Humans of Space is produced by Mark Gardner and Catherine Cunning at Oxford Sound Studio, Oxford in the UK, with music by Tom Beasley. <laughs>